Amen. Again, we want to welcome uh, our live stream audience. We're grateful that you have the opportunity to join us this morning. And as I've said for the last few weeks, uh, it's really our hope, our prayer, our desire is that uh, the live stream would just be the beginning for you and that your ultimate goal would be that you would make your way into this place and you would get to experience all the other things besides the sermon, the, the presence of the living God, an opportunity to be prayed for, an opportunity to give, an opportunity to worship corporately, which I think is so vital to our spiritual health. So again, welcome to our live stream audience. Uh, today, as Matt said, is part three of our How Stuff Works series. Today we talk about baptism, and baptism is one of those deals that we are all over the map with. We know it's religious, we know it's important, but everyone has a different opinion, and everyone grew up a different way of believing about it and a different way of doing it. For some, it happened as an infant. Other denominations wait until you're older. For some, it's the source of salvation itself, and others treat it more as a picture of salvation. Some sprinkle, some dip, some dunk. <laughs> Sounds like we're talking about Dunkin' Donuts, but we're not. So what's the right way? Does it matter? And, and maybe the most important question of all, what does the Bible say? What does the Word of God say about how baptism works? Personally, I grew up in a denomination where infants were sprinkled. It was a ceremony deemed necessary to be saved. I will admit that in my grade school and my adolescent mind, this did not add up. It was, it was hard for me to reconcile that God would keep you out of heaven because your parents never had you baptized as an infant or that you could gain heaven based on a ceremonial ritual you may have been totally oblivious to and you didn't even choose for yourself. This is how God determines who goes to heaven. Even as a boy, I struggled with that. Let's see if we can determine from the pages of Holy Writ how baptism works. Our text is Colossians 2, but let me begin with a story right out of uh, Scripture, right out of Acts chapter 8. It's the story of Philip the Evangelist, not to be confused with Philip the Apostle, and here's where Philip the Evangelist makes his mark. In fact, he gets a whopping 14 mentions in this one chapter. Bible says in verse 27 of Acts chapter 8 that he went and arose, and behold, he met a man of, of Ethiopia. He was a man, this man of Ethiopia, of great authority. In fact, he was the treasurer of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Important guy. And Philip sees him sitting in his chariot reading his Bible. And the Spirit of the Lord spoke unto Philip, it says in verse 29, go and join yourself to this chariot. Philip ran hither to him and heard him reading in the prophet Isaiah. And he said, do you understand what you read? Great question. 
And the Ethiopian said, how can I understand unless I have someone to explain it to me? And then the Ethiopian asked Philip a question. He said, this prophet, who is he writing about? Is he writing about himself or is he writing about someone else to come? Verse 35, it says, Philip opened up his mouth and began at that same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, the Bible says, they came to a certain water. They came to a body of water. And, and the Ethiopian said, see, here is water. What keeps me from being baptized? What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the Ethiopian, and he baptized him. And then they came up out of the water. That, my friend, is how baptism works. Now before we read from Colossians, it's time for yet another video foray into how something works. Today, it's our own Samuel Lester, and we're going to learn how your metabolism works. Let's go to the videotape. Hello, I'm Samuel Lester, and not only am I the youth pastor here at Central Assembly, but I'm also a distributor for Advocare, a health and wellness company. And I'm here today to talk to you about how metabolism works. Before we get into how metabolism works, we first need to establish what it is. Metabolism is your body taking the nutrients and things that it needs from your body for energy and for building blocks for your, to rebuild and to build up your body. So now that we've established what metabolism is, we can go into how it works. Your body needs three main things from your food in order for it to function well. Carbohydrates, lipids, which are fats, and proteins. We'll start with carbohydrates. Carbohydrates are the simple thing that your body always goes to in order to get energy. Now, if you think about your body as a furnace, carbohydrates are kind of like a, like a kindling, uh, cardboard or light wood for your body to burn in order to get some quicker energy. So first, your metabolism is trying to find carbohydrates, but it's also trying to find lipids or fats. But lipids are used a little bit more sparingly, more as a reserve energy. But then proteins are more used by your, by your metabolism for building blocks. As an example, think about working out. When you work out, you are breaking down and ripping apart your muscles and to make, to, in order to make them stronger. When you rip apart your muscles, your body needs proteins in order for it to be built back up. Metabolism is really, in short, a way for your body to gain nutrients from the food and things that you ingest so that you can use it for the full stability, for energy, as well as building blocks for your body to be healthy. And that is how your metabolism works. I'm all about the lipids. I don't know. <laughs> what is water baptism? The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptisma. In the original language of the Bible, it means to immerse or to whelm over. We would in our language say to overwhelm. We err when we assume every biblical reference to baptism is talking about water baptism. 
It simply is not, and it's usually obvious from the text. An important part of the baptism equation is what we are being baptized into. What are we being whelmed over by? What are we being immersed into? The word baptism in no way implies water. It does not inerrantly refer to water baptism. There are several baptisms mentioned in the pages of Scripture. And to misunderstand what element we are being baptized into is to create confusion, and confusion leads to false doctrine. Welcome to the world of religion. There are references in the Bible to being baptized in suffering, baptized in the Holy Spirit, baptized in Christ, and being baptized into the body of Christ. For example... Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What's the element that we're being baptized into? It's not water. In this passage, it's Christ. And I remember when that happened in my life. It was, it was part of the born-again experience. I went from Christ being on the periphery of my life to being immersed in him he went from being an afterthought to the center of my life i was whelmed over by the person of jesus christ i was baptized into christ no water involved then i was baptized into the body of christ first corinthians 12 13 says for in one spirit we are all baptized into one body Jews and Greeks, slaves and free. This refers to being baptized into the body of Christ, the church, big C. Nothing to do with water. Then there's references to the baptism and suffering. Remember James and John, they asked Jesus for seats of privilege and seats of authority in heaven. This is in Mark chapter 10. Verse 38, but Jesus said unto them, you know not what you ask. Can you drink of the cup that I drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Now most certainly, this is not a reference to water baptism. Verse 39, they said unto him, we can. And Jesus said unto them, you shall indeed drink of the cup that I drink of and with the baptism that I am baptized with all shall you be baptized. It's a clear reference to the suffering that they would one day endure as followers of Christ. James would be among the many disciples martyred. John would not be martyred, but he would suffer for Jesus by being lowered into the vat of boiling oil and exiled to the island of Patmos. They were baptized, not in water, but in suffering. None of those involve water in the least little bit, not even a sprinkle. So let's take a look now at how water baptism works. We believe that Scripture promotes believer's baptism. In Acts chapter 18, it refers to a man named Crispus. He's the ruler of the synagogue. He believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed 
and were baptized. Believer's baptism means you're saved by grace through faith, and then you are baptized in water. That's the the biblical pattern. In Acts 2, it says, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. They aren't being baptized to be saved. They're being baptized because they've already repented and they've already professed their faith in Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized. It happens, church, on the inside first. But in the world of religion, the methodology is often outside in. Traditions like circumcision for the Jews and baptism for Christians often veil the weightier matters. It's a very important statement. Let me say it again. Traditions in the world of religion that often works from the outside in, traditions like circumcision for the Jews and water baptism for Christians often veil the weightier matters like repentance from sin and a relationship with Jesus. For many, water baptism is a ritual or a tradition they hope somehow gains God's favor. They're trying to earn heaven from the outside in. Colossians 2 now, which is our text, beginning in verse 8, says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. For in Him, in Christ, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Listen. Instead of chasing after philosophies and traditions and rituals of religion, we should pursue Jesus, the one that in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. That's what we should be pursuing. Verse 10 says, And you are complete in Him. No mention of the rituals, no mention of the traditions. You are complete in the one that in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily, which is the head of all principality and power. Verse 11, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now verse 11, circumcision is used as an example of outward traditions and rituals being used to counterfeit an experience with God. Listen to to Romans 2.29. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. Okay, if you were circumcised as a Jew, you would be one outwardly. But here's what it says. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, not the letter of the law, not the ritual, but in the heart, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Many ascribe to all the trappings of religion, and yet they are far from God. God, listen, 
God is not taken in by the outward appearance. You cannot be saved by being water baptized any more than you can by being circumcised. Isaiah 29, 13 says, Wherefore the Lord said, For as much as these people draw near to me with their mouth and with their lips they do honor me, their heart is far from me. Water baptism is not an attempt to gain God's favor. If it is, then it's done in vain. It's not an attempt to complete or perform a religious ritual in order to get to heaven. Water baptism does not work outside in. It works inside out. Unlike some Christian denominations, we do not consider baptism to be a prerequisite or to be required for salvation. It's to happen after salvation takes place in the life of a believer. Water baptism is a reflection of what has already happened on the inside. We do believe that water baptism is important. In fact, it's one of only two ordinances in the assemblies of God, the other being Holy Communion. Water baptism happens once, and it pictures salvation. Holy Communion occurs regularly and pictures our fellowship with God, our communion with Jesus. The ordinance of water baptism by immersion is supported by the Scriptures. All who repent and believe on Christ as Savior and Lord are to be baptized. And in so doing, they declare to the world that they have died with Christ and been raised with Him to walk in newness of life. Listen to Romans 6, beginning in verse 3. It says, Know ye not that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. Now picture water baptism. If you've ever witnessed a water baptism by immersion. Picture that. Verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death, that like as Christ we are raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together with him in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. See, now, thanks to Livestream, they got to see that tremendous visual help. <laughs> Historically speaking, particularly in the book of Acts, we see that individuals who professed faith in Christ were immediately baptized, which I think is awesome. I think we should keep the tank full the whole time. And whenever someone receives Christ, we just drag him back there and baptize him. <laughs> but, but baptism in water is never mentioned as a condition of salvation. It's a picture of new life. It's not the means of securing it. Water baptism declares that you have been saved by Jesus. Paul clearly states the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul clearly states the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15 with no mention of water baptism as a condition of salvation. 
Now, if you were preaching the gospel and water baptism was a condition of salvation, it would be coming up all the time, right? It would be part of every message because it's a, it's a prerequisite, but it's not. Here's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. I declare unto you the gospel, he says, which I preached unto you, which you have received, and wherein you stand, and by which you are saved. I mean, just that is cool. Here's the gospel that I've preached unto you. Here's the gospel that you've received. Here's the gospel wherein you stand. And here's the gospel which has saved you. How Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. That's the gospel. It's the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus for our sins. Baptism is not even mentioned here. But it's exactly what baptism pictures. Now back to Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. It says, buried with him in baptism. So, so what does that mean? Verse 12, buried with him in baptism. It means that water baptism pictures his death and burial. Wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who has raised him from the dead. I like that, the operation of God. We're talking about how stuff works. Here's the operation of God, right? And you being dead in your sins, verse 13, and the uncircumcision of your flesh... Has he quickened together with them, having forgiven all your trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, fascinating phrase, speaks of the law, that was against us, the law that was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. In this dispensation, you're not saved by keeping the law. You hear me, church? You're not saved by keeping the law. In this dispensation, you're saved by grace through faith. Verse 15, And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of a holy day or the new moon or Sabbath days, the law, which are all shadows of things to come. We're, we're buried with him in baptism. That's what verse 12 says. Baptism identifies us with his death, burial, and resurrection. It's an outward expression of what's already transpired on the inside. We're saved, church, from the inside out. Listen to Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 5. But let me, let me lead into it with that last little phrase I said. We are, we are saved from the inside out. Now, Titus, not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration, by the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope 
of eternal life. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. Not a religious ritual or an ordinance of our outward religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. To that end, He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believeth on Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. A Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas in Acts 16, great question, what must I do to be saved? Whatever Paul says is pretty significant, right? Paul and Silas didn't respond with an outward religious ritual. They didn't say, start going to church. They didn't say, get baptized. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It was a very direct question and a very direct answer. Water baptism was not in the equation. That's because it's not essential for salvation. It's a picture of salvation. Now, sometime later in the story, Paul baptizes them. It's all consistent with the pattern of unbelievers hearing the gospel, responding in faith, and then being immersed in water subsequent to their conversion experience. That's how baptism works. It's worth considering the thief on the cross in Luke 23. In verse 42, he says unto Jesus, much like the jailer's question to Paul, the thief on the cross says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And the response of Jesus includes no religious rituals to perform and interestingly enough, no prayers to pray. That's because while salvation Hear me now. That's because that while salvation is reflected by what you do and what you say, it is not based upon it. Salvation is by faith alone plus nothing. The thief on the cross had faith. So Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. The Ethiopian with Philip at the beginning of our message trusted Jesus as a Savior and was then, note the sequence, baptized by immersion as a picture of his commitment to Jesus. In a sense, baptism is not unlike a ring at a wedding. The ring isn't the covenant. It's the token of the covenant. Some people are reluctant to get baptized. There's the vanity thing. Some don't want to get their hair wet in, in front of everyone. Others just don't like being the center of attention. And, and we get that. And I think that we do it in a way that, that minimizes all of that. But baptism does require a decision on your part. I like this. Max Licato says, baptism separates the tire kickers from the car buyers. <laughs> and I would add, just like a wedding ring does. Think about that. 
That's how baptism works. When people ask me what we believe is a church, I have a very simple answer. I say, we believe the Bible. We try to follow the biblical model in all that we do. And we believe there's a clear pattern laid out in Scripture to base the ordinance of water baptism on. We immerse because that's the way Scripture records it being done. Matthew 3.16, the, the, the record of Jesus being baptized. It says, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John in Jordan and straightway coming up out of the water. Note the words, coming up out of the water. This would indicate to me that he went down into the water. In John 3.23, it records that John the, Baptist, John the Baptist chose a certain place to baptize people because there was enough water to do so. Here's what it says. John also was baptizing in Enon near to Salim because there was much water there and they came and were baptized. Now, would this be the case if they're just sprinkling? Why would you need a certain place with much water there for that? They were immersing or, or overwhelming them in water. We believe baptism by immersion is the biblical method. But beyond the method, we believe to affix salvation to the ordinance of water baptism is a serious misrepresentation of Holy Scripture. It's heresy. The Bible teaches that salvation comes only one way. Jesus is that way. To attach any ritual or act to salvation is gross doctrinal error. Galatians 5 says, For I testify again to every man that is circumcised. So in other words, if you're going to ascribe to the outward rituals, if you're going to ascribe to the law as your hope for salvation, he says, To every man that is circumcised, and to the Jews, circumcision was an outward religious ritual. He's a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, the Bible says, you have fallen from grace. If we hold to the idea that we cannot be saved without water baptism, then we trample the blood of Jesus underfoot. We make his sacrifice of no effect. Instead, we believe water baptism is a beautiful picture of dying to sin, dying to the world, dying to self, and rising again to new life. Every time baptism is performed in Scripture, it's a believer being baptized, never an unbeliever, and never an infant. And they are totally immersed in water. The purpose of water baptism, then, is to publicly testify of our new life in Christ. It's a step of obedience in accordance to the Word of God and the example of Jesus, who was immersed in water by John the Baptist. It's a powerful public demonstration of the life change you have already experienced. That's 
how baptism works. If you've never been water baptized and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there are, then we are providing another opportunity for that on October 13th. That's just two weeks from today. And you know, I've never heard of a person who was water baptized and then wished he wouldn't have. On the other hand, I've seen many who were so glad they took that step, that step of obedience, and followed Jesus and made the public declaration that Jesus is Lord of their life. I would encourage you on that connection card that we talked about to check the box that you're interested in in being water baptized on October 13th. And, And if you're still not sure or you still have questions, please contact the church office. We would love to sit down and talk to you about that. But remember, water baptism does not save you. Water baptism is what you do after you're saved. And if you don't know Jesus, you could get saved today and then water baptized on October 13th. So how do you do that? Well, let me make it easy for you. Let's make it as easy as ABC. A, admit you're a sinner. The Bible says that we all fall short of the glory of God. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. B, is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the jailer asked Paul, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. So A, admit you're a sinner. Two, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the C is commit your life to him means to repent from your sin and to begin to live for him. A, admit you're a sinner. B, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. C, commit your life to him. If that's the decision that you're making today, then on October 13th, you can be water baptized. And we'll picture that in front of the entire congregation. Would you bow your head with me as we close this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you've thought about all the other rituals, the church attendance and, and uh, the outward rituals of things like water baptism, but you've never really given your life to Jesus. If that's you this morning, Would you raise your hand? By raising your hand, you're not joining the church. You're saying, Tom, I want to give my life to Jesus. I'm recognizing this morning that salvation happens from the inside out, not the outside in. And so today I want to confess my sins. I want to acknowledge Jesus as Savior. If that's you today, would you slip up your hand so that I can include you in our our closing prayer? And the rest of the the church in this moment, would would you do me a favor, church? Would you begin to pray for the ones that are struggling in this moment, the one whose heart is pounding, the one who knows that they need to do something and they're not quite sure what to do? Would you pray right now, church? So you're here this morning and you're recognizing that salvation happens from the inside out, not from the outside in. And so today you want to give your life to Jesus. You want to admit you're a sinner. You want to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you want to commit your life to him. If that's you, would you slip up your hand 
So I can include you in our closing prayer this morning. I see that hand. God bless you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we're not saved by what we do. Thank you, Lord, that we're not saved by keeping the law. But instead, we're saved by the grace of God as we receive it by faith. It's as if your hand is extended down from heaven. That's the grace of God. And it's up to us to reach up and take it. And so this morning, Lord, we reach up and we take your hand. It's our only hope of salvation is to receive you. We could never be good enough. We could never earn it. There aren't enough rituals in the world that'll earn me heaven. It's an amazing gift. And all I have to do is receive it from you by faith. So today we do that. Lord, I pray for the one that has given his life to you this morning. I pray that, that he would take the next steps. He would begin to study scripture. He would connect with another more mature believer. And maybe on October 13th, we take the step of water baptism. Then he might picture to the world what's already happened in his heart. We thank you for that great privilege today. In Jesus' name, amen.